Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Adam Stark, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Mark, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Adam's real estate career began as an owner's rep at a New York-based developer. And there, Adam achieved the uh, title and responsibility of VP of Construction and Development. And with years of experience on job sites, Adam completed dozens of multi-million dollar high-complexity development projects. And alongside his co-founder, Adam recognized the inefficiencies of multi-company stakeholder accountability for development and construction operations management. And as a result, after years of coding a solution with his co-founder, they launched a VC-backed real estate development and construction command center. It's called JetBuild. Jet.Build is where you could find it. And today we're going to talk to Adam and learn his story and learn all about Jet.Build and how it may transition and transform the construction industry. Adam, welcome. Thanks so much. Yeah, so I'll go ahead and kick it off with the story of JetBuild and why I'm here. Yeah, before you do that, I want to know more about you. I want to know your story before we even get into Jet.Build. Totally. Go back as far as you want to go back and share. When did you discover your passion for what you're doing today? And maybe what even inspired you to do it? Yeah, absolutely. So what's funny is my founder story and the company story has some overlap in terms of how I got into the industry itself. With that said, you know, I, I kind of had this affinity for 
Legos back in childhood. I always loved building things, creating stuff, having design elements that had you know a physical outcome, right, a tangible result from your efforts. And you know, undergraduate degree, I studied business. When I finished that degree, I just happened to be in the right time and right place where I found the opportunity to start off with that real estate developer in New York City. You know, early first two years, first year, second year was really just learning like it would be for anyone in any industry. I recognize kind of those connection points between what I liked in childhood, like I brought up between, you know, Lego, Legos design, building things and actually doing that as a profession and kind of just grew from there. That's the origination of, of the story and, and how I got into development and construction. So you worked for a development company mm-hmm. and what did you do for the development company? Yeah, so I started off managing projects under director of construction type person, type title. And there I learned the ins and outs of how operations and processes function on a construction project, you know, from inception through design phases, through construction phases, and then handoff to asset management when project was completed. With that said, you know, we were very hands-on developers. So we were on construction sites, we meaning the management team, were on construction sites yeah. on a daily basis, quite literally. So my day started every single day of the week on whatever job I was supporting to manage in the earlier days of you know my career there, which eventually led to me running the project myself. So that's kind of the dynamic. What type of work did you do? What kind of buildings? They were mainly high-rise mixed use. So it'll be you know commercial on the ground floor, then either mix of residential and hotel or office space, but really kind of those three versions, I'll call it. So commercial, office, and uh, residential. Yeah. And so you met your co-founder there too? Yeah, correct. So uh, going back uh, one step is Joseph, my co-founder, and I actually know each other from childhood. Oh, cool. Where we were first enemies because we played high school sports against one another. (laughs) Rivals. (laughs) Exactly. And then we both actually end up in the same enlistment in the Israeli military. So we were both airborne, so paratroopers. And then somehow we both end up back in New York City working for developers, like I was mentioning, different companies, but very similar. They're family offices, building high-rise type properties. And you know, when we would just meet up as friends, we'd realize this was real quick, real early on, right? We'd realize, wait a second, like this element of trying to track accountability, trying to understand who's responsible for what. So transparency over the project with Excel files and email chains is insanity. And that's when we said, you know, we've got to figure out a way to better do things, right? Better manage what we're doing. We want to free up space as it relates to just those administrative tasks, consolidating information on these Excel files, then reminding people consistently, whether it be a phone call, an email, you name it. So let's figure out how to do all of this better so we can be better at proactively making decisions on our projects rather than you know holding our tails all of the time. And we went to the market to look at what existed in terms of uh, management solutions, software, you know, recognize the legacy players in the market, immediately face friction with those options, those legacy products for two general points. And those points I hear really on a daily basis now. So in some ways, kind of validating, I'll call it, which is pricing friction and just the backend usability friction. So just difficult to understand the interface. And that's when we said, you know, forget all of this. We'll just create a solution for ourselves. So Joseph being the mastermind that he is, he understands how to code. So computer engineer. And we just started architecting, right? Building code 
funny difference between product development and property development. So uh, <laughs> definitely confusing overlap of words there. But we started to code, like computer engineer, a solution for ourselves where you know, we began on RFI and submittal file and workflow management, drawing and file management. And what we layered into these features in the early days, in the early stages of our product, was kind of those accountability measures that allowed for space on administrative tasks. And what I mean by that is simply saying, all right, you know, you have a submittal or an RFI that you need responses from, whether it be from your trades, your design team, the developer. So let's create a workflow in order of who needs to respond and with due dates. And what's going to happen in using a software is it'll just automate reminders so that it'll remove all of those kind of silly, you know, time sucking tasks from everyone. And it was really quick for us to realize that it was doing just that, right? We had just a simple backend, simple product. And with that realization that it worked, we said, all right, let's just continue to build this here. Let's continue to add features. And that's what we did. So, you know, we went to punch lists, to uh, insurance management, to creating budgets, to meeting minutes, to Gantt chart scheduling, to data reporting that was pulling information from all those entries. And eventually we, we really just created almost accidentally, right? Just by nature of needing it ourselves, created this end to end solution that was really covering all of your operation necessities for a project. And that's when we said, wow, you know, this is actually working. We were able to onboard some design clients, as we call it. So early stage clients, just via our network, you know, builders being in the uh, industry, realized that it was working for them also. So it wasn't only our opinion, right? And that's when we said, hey, you know what, we have an opportunity here to really create a product that's going to remove the frictions of these legacy products, right? We'll price it in a way that's cost effective to the scale of your company. And then two, it'll be intuitive because it's a new tech stack build, right? It's just simplified, especially because, you know, we built it coming from the perspective of being on job sites and understanding what's really needed. So that's to say, you know, imagine a phone or a computer built in the late 90s versus built today, just kind of almost objective, right? Just face value recognition of simplicity changes on a product intuitive uh, nature of how things are built today. And with all of that, we were able to raise a round of capital with Shadow Partners, real estate tech-focused VC, really awesome team. Recommend looking into that. You've had P on the show. Oh, amazing. Yeah, amazing. I'm going to go back and hear that. I know you've had some other uh, Shadow Partner uh, yep. companies. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And that's kind of the full story. And now we're growing our brand. So you know, growing the business, growing the product, as is a never-ending cycle of product development. And it's been really exciting. Let's go back to the beginning of where you realized there was a need for this. Sure. And you started building the solution. When you started building that solution with your co-founder, did you have the idea that, oh, we'll build this and we'll see if it'll work. And if it works, we'll turn it into a company. Or was it just a solution for yourselves to do your job more efficiently? And then at some point it became you know, a realization that it could be something that the market would want. Yeah, totally. So it started off as... Like, let's do what we're doing better. Let's simplify our lives, right? With that said, you know, it's not that we were creating the wheel, right? I mean, we understood that solutions existed. And with that, we were able to kind of leverage conceptually, you know, it's no secret how people operate. Everyone needs a budget. Everyone needs a schedule. Everyone needs a RFI submittal process. So it was really just pulling from the tools that everybody was anyways using on job sites and just saying, okay, let's take that away from your siloed environment and bring it onto a cloud platform where everyone could collaborate on. 
you know, we do have permission controls as well. So whether that be a budget, whether that be trying to track, you know, insurance, whether that be submittal and RFIs, whether that be issuing working sets for drawings, so on and so forth. So like, you know, it started off just let's simplify our lives, but then oh, kind of quickly we started realizing because obviously projects you work with external stakeholders, like design teams, contracting teams, developer teams, et cetera. So we quickly realized, oh, this is helping them as well, right? Everybody is doing less administrative tasks for really no reason. And obviously it works for any construction project, but it's really focused on the development industry. Is that right? No, so it works, you know, that was our kind of perspective where we came from as the builder owner. With that said, I mean, we have clients that range from home builders to contracting teams to design teams as well. So engineers and architects, as well as the developers, of course. And it really just depends on your, I'll call it responsibilities in a project. So, you know, I used to work with architects who were also managing a lot of the project. So for a firm like that, it'd be very useful for them, right? For example, again, on this architect kind of perspective, you'll have very simplified reporting to whoever your client is. You know, whether that be RFI submittal status, whether that be a budget status, whether that be issuing, you know, images or drawings. So we created a really simple way of sharing information. So how far along in development are you with the company? You mentioned that it does a lot of things, right? That you started one Mm -hmm. thing and it worked and then you said, oh, let's do these other things. And when you look at the website, it's like a whole list of features that it does. I mean, it really takes care of the entire project from the beginning to the end. Where are you in terms of the company Mm -hmm. in the development of the company? Yeah, totally. So uh, we actually released our product in 2020 to the market. So we ran through all of you know that backstory I was mentioning, the initial phases, beta phases, and then released to market in 2020. With that said, it was more recent that we raised around with Shadow Partners. While between you know 2017 when we started creating JetBuild all the way until about a year ago when we closed around of fundraising, it was all you know still operating with clients that we onboarded just by virtue of being in the business, it was still operating because we were using it, right, for our projects. So today, what we've done is, with the ability to focus on the product full-time, is we've really created lots of differentiation as it relates to further the intuitive nature of the product, some robust capabilities, if you want. And what I mean by that is, you know, you could take the product and run with it on a very simple way, but you could also dive into lots of complexities like, linking RFIs to drawing sheets, linking specifications to submittals and vice versa, to you know bid management, forecasting. So you could go in a very robust nature with the product. So that's what we've been doing kind of since focusing full-time. So it's very flexible, right? So somebody mm-hmm. can use it just for this one thing that they need it for, or they can go as deep as they want to go. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Can you talk about the VC process, the funding process, how transparent can you be? Not necessarily numbers, unless you want to share those numbers, that would be interesting as well. But the process of working with a venture capital firm to take that idea to the next level, can you talk about that process? Totally. So what's interesting about the way in which we raise capital is that we built this product prior to engaging with capital, with money, with VC, private investors, et cetera. So that's a little bit different than a company who's starting pitching an idea or a somewhat finished product with a concept. Rather, we were our own use case proof of concept. We had a few of those design clients, so early stage clients as additional kind of proof of concept before engaging 
in the market. With that said, I think our industry as a whole, so I'll just bundle that into saying real estate technology is, you know, an industry that needs to move forward as it relates to tech and stop being this laggard. Granted, I want to, you know, give some, I'll call it respect to the fact that it's such a complex process with multi-company stakeholder teams, which I think is relatively unusual to business at large. But with that said, you know, if you have a concept that you felt the pain point yourself, start building a solution, start ideating toward, you know, how you could solve that pain point, create something, right? Try to test it the best that you can, whether that be internal with yourself personally, internal with your company that you're working for, internal with friends, family type scenario, and then leverage that, right? Leverage something to then take to uh, venture capital so that you can pitch better, I'll call it, and then kind of jumpstart your idea and company. Did you pitch to multiple VCs or just the shadow? Yeah, no. So we have a few VCs on our first round that we raised. The shadow led the round. So yeah, we pitched to a few. Again, given the concept of having a ready product yet entering as a first fundraising round, grateful to not have had so much friction in closing our first round. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors for their support of this episode. Accurate data is crucial, especially in today's business environment. Outdated and inaccurate data leads to turnarounds, delays, and rising costs. With supply chain and staffing issues, these costs and delays can multiply. That's why a resource like RCAT.com is so important. RCAT works with manufacturers to keep their data up to date and accurate and offers it to you easily accessible and free. Use RCAT's powerful search engine to find what you need fast and download it right there on their site without needing to pay for anything. It's free. You don't even have to register. So go try RCAT.com today. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. Unlock your full potential as an architect business owner at Entree Architect Network. Since 2013, Entree Architect has been the premier membership community designed exclusively for small firm entrepreneur architects like you. Join a vibrant community of like-minded professionals and gain access to a wealth of resources, mentorship, and support. From comprehensive courses to expert guidance, Entree Architect Network equips you with the necessary tools to thrive in your career. Master business strategies, enhance your marketing techniques, and excel in project management, all while fulfilling your continuing education requirements along the way. Break free from the isolation and connect with a supportive network that understands the unique challenges that you face as an architect business owner. Whether you're a startup architect or a seasoned professional looking to make a difference, join us and we will help you elevate your career, boost your confidence, and unlock opportunities for your architecture firm. When our community of entrepreneur architects is linked and leveraged as one, there's no limit to the impact that we can have on the world. Visit EntreeArchitect.com today and become part of our thriving network. Unleash the full potential of your architecture business. Join Entree Architect Network today the premier global business organization for small firm architects. Learn more at entrearchitect.com.
We're talking to people who don't really understand or may not understand that process. And I'm interested in that process. And so, and I know from talking with KP and him talking about Shadow, who's the founder of Shadow Ventures, that he's simply open, right? That if you're interested in talking to him, there's a link on his website that you can pitch an idea and they'll call you and talk to you about it. And other VCs aren't so easy to get to, right? Mm -hmm. That you sort of have to find your way to the right people and have those conversations. Did you have that experience with the other VCs that you're working with? How did you sort of put together your team of VCs? Totally. So I actually leveraged the network approach in terms of getting time to speak to people. With that said, I would suggest it's kind of like trying to get a hold of anyone in any industry for any circumstance. It is you got to expect that, you know, people have a million things on their plate as well. Right. So you got to just do your best. You got to reach out to as many people as you want. I would recommend starting with VCs who are focused in the same general industry and vision that you have for whatever you're trying to build and pitch. So I think that's really important if you're able to achieve that. And then as a secondary, it's, you know, I'll call it for lack of a better term, shotgun approach. I mean, reach out to as many people and as many VCs as you can. Don't always expect something, rather, you know, engage in a networking type of perspective when you go into it and allow that to grow into hopefully and potentially more if the fit is proper. With that said, I think depending on the stage, also that for context, this is probably good to note. Depending on the stage, it will be either simpler, I'll call it, or more difficult, right? So if you're trying to raise seed funds, right, which is going to be not an insane amount like you probably see on the news, you know, companies raising 30 plus million, et cetera, it's, you know, likely a little bit simpler for companies to invest a few hundred thousand versus a few hundred million, right? So that's also a relevant point to consider. Is your team of VCs all based in the construction industry? Correct. Yeah. So that's very interesting. Thanks for sharing that. Can you disclose how much you raised? Yeah, we closed a round of just under a million dollars to kick us off, right? To help us launch our product. Yeah. Which is very sufficient for us in terms of having a really healthy runway. Reason being, we had clients before raising. We had a product ready before raising. So capital went straight to business development and product development rather than product ideation and creation. You know, so that's really supportive in terms of allowing us a lot of healthy conservative runway without pressures that other companies may face in, in earlier stages. And that's still considered seed, even though you had a product already developed. Is that correct? Correct. Correct. And so what's the future of JetBuild look like in terms of both the product? Mm-hmm. So what's the future look like for the product as well as funding any sort of plans for growing the business? Totally. So in terms of the product, Similar to, I'll make this comparison first, is similar to you know how Apple still pushes out software updates all the time. I mean, right. just today, I updated my computer. So software updates is a never-ending cycle. So that's like on your baseline scenarios. We're always updating with new features. We take client feedback very seriously and we implement rapidly. We're able to do that because new tech architecture, right? So code is new and clean and simple to implement new features with. With that said, in terms of future outlook for the product, What's going to happen is we're going to amass enough data where we can create what we'll call proactive data reporting. So in understanding, for example, you're building X asset class in X area, right? Demographic with X size of property, you should expect this kind of cost at that kind of a schedule. 
So we'll be able to give kind of these insights based on massing data of our clients that have built all of those criteria already. So that's one angle. Another angle will be kind of pulling again on the data play is understanding rates across what I'll call commodities, right? So whether it be, you know, glass, steel, concrete, et cetera. So we'll be able to provide similar kind of data reporting to our clients that would present them, you know, you're building in this area with this amount of concrete, it should cost you roughly this amount, you know, based on how others have built. So those are some concepts that we're building toward. On a business kind of perspective, what we have done is, you know, created this baseline essential software. What I mean by that is, again, it's that concept of these are all functions that everybody is doing, regardless of if you're using a software or Excel, you're creating a budget, you're going through submittals and R5s, you're sharing and storing drawings, etc. So the way that we built this in this intuitive nature, our vision here is to be the essential need, the kind of essential criteria for any project. And then from there, it'll say, yeah, you have some BIM software, let's plug that in, let's integrate. You have some you know, concrete pouring AI to give you, you know, more accurate pouring and reduce your carbon footprint. Let's plug that and integrate that so we can understand how that affects the uh, schedule for the positive, right? So that's kind of the outlook for the business. In terms of next round and fundraising, the reality is, is we have so much runway still that we're not focused on fundraising right now. That is to say, and that is to note that fundraising does take a ton of time and effort. So that will naturally pull away from the ability to grow your business. So yeah, we're very focused still on uh, growth networking, right? Allowing for more people to see JetBuild as a name, hopefully reach out, hopefully get to show them a product demo and continue growing. What have you found to be the hardest part of growing Jet.Build? I think this is easy and I hope this is on point, but immediately what came to mind is timing. So of course, in our industry, right, timing is so critical. And what I mean by that is you've either started a project or you're gearing up for a project. And naturally so, I mean, I agree. It's obviously way more difficult to onboard or change a software while you've already started, while your, your project is already ongoing, right? Versus if you come in and the conversation, luckily, if it happens to be that you've started a conversation with a potential client when they're gearing up for or ready for a project, right. way different conversation, way simpler. So it's finding the client with the projects that need your product now right. or in the near future, rather than somebody who's halfway through a major project on another platform totally. where you essentially have to wait until they're done with that in order for them to get focused on changing their platform, which is probably also difficult, right? Once they've committed to a platform, yeah. it's hard for them to transition to another. So you have to have a pretty big reason for that. Totally. Recently, in the last year or so, AI has become, you know, the buzzword has become, you know, ubiquitous. It's clearly going to be a major component of everything we do in the future, right? Right now, it's sort of trendy and everybody's playing with it and experimenting with it. Mm -hmm. A lot of the VC-backed companies are AI-focused companies, right? But clearly, AI is going to be integrated into everything we do. Mm -hmm. How does AI affect your product in the future? It'll touch on, it'll kind of integrate with or leverage a lot of those insights that I was talking about, right? So on a basic level, it'll say, hey, this is market data. This is what your project should look like. On a more robust you know, intelligence, right, artificial intelligence level, it'll be able to say, 
tell you you're tracking incorrectly, tell you that you're purchasing wrong, right? And that's to say, if you want to believe it based on algorithms and the data, but it'll be able to give you, like I was mentioning before, a lot of those proactive decisions like, hey, this team is tracking on a lower performance than they should, right? So a lot of these kind of predictive analytics. Beyond that, it'll be also what I mentioned before, which is to say, we're focused on transforming companies on a very simple manner into a digital ecosystem. So we're coming in to be this kind of backbone structure. And then you could talk about as many AI, everything that you want that should integrate, right? Per specificity per niche, right? So he's talked about concrete pouring. It could be AI for safety. It could be AI for imaging. Uh, it could be some AI on the BIM side. But they all need to connect into one system to consolidate all that information across the stakeholders. So that's kind of how we would envision the growth of AI in our industry, plugging into Jet and then producing a singular dashboard. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier that data is a critical piece of what you're building, right? That Mm -hmm. the more clients you have, the more data that's flowing through this product, the more valuable it becomes for everybody, right? Totally. The product becomes more robust. The ability to leverage AI with that data becomes more valuable. The company literally becomes more valuable as the data is collected. There's more data, the more accurate you can be, Mm -hmm. the more you can leverage it, the more valuable the company becomes. It's a very interesting model. Totally. And it's really exciting to sort of imagine where you can go in the future as you've developed this framework and what it can be as new technologies are added to it. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to give a little plug here for the architects of the world. Is, uh, I remember back in you know my days working on development projects, and there was this crazy just back and forth of trying to gather all this data, all this information from the architects, asking them to try and consolidate everything from the other teams for us, right? As the as the owner. Right. And it just, it was so crazy. I mean, it, it doesn't make sense to, to ask anyone to be doing that. It doesn't end up producing a package of data that is like accessible, really. And, you know, that's why Jet or something like it is so important because, first of all, it's all there. Nobody has to consolidate everything. It's all structured to whatever that data should be tied to, whether it's a schedule, a submittal, a punch list, etc. And then it's all, you know, for historical reference, for migrating ability so you can copy and paste across projects very, very easily in two clicks. So yeah, that's a part of what we're trying to support too, is allow companies and teams to just do better because you're not asking anyone now to essentially consolidate and, and send over what is nonsense in the long term. Yeah. So if you're listening and you're wondering, you know, what it looks like, how it works, jet.build is the website. You can go to jet.build and see how it works, all the different features, how it might help you. Before we wrap up, Adam, I'd love to have you answer my final question that I ask all my guests. This is a business podcast. This is listened to by thousands of small firm business owners, architect business owners. And so I like to ask this question, what is one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Great question. I'm going to answer it in two ways. One, on the marketing side, and I'll suggest that you empower your people, your teams, especially if you are the face of your company, you know, executive, founder, etc. Leverage LinkedIn. I mean, start having a voice for yourself and see how that compounding network effect works for you. Just dedicate some time every day, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And it will help you in your business. That's on the marketing side. And then in terms of the business side, we are working with architects who Jet, along with some other softwares, 
is they're providing value add. And it's not saying they're enforcing or pushing. It's saying, hey, you know, we've worked with Jet before. This is a great solution for you and your company. We've worked with, you know, this BIM software. It's a great solution for you and your company. So if you become aware of technologies and you present them as you know, viable options to clients that you're working for, I think it goes a long way in terms of how they'll perceive you for projects in the future. His name is Adam Stark. Again, the company name is JetBuild, and you can learn more about the company at jet.build. Adam, thank you. I appreciate you for developing products like this, trying to focus on making the workflow of construction better, right? Because as you do that, we can focus on building better buildings, designing better buildings, sort of taking all the stuff that we do that takes lots of time and lots of effort and lots of money and making that simpler to do, right? To make that workflow work better allows us to focus on the things that we're really good at and make the world a better place. So I appreciate you for developing JetBuild and coming by here and sharing your story and your knowledge at Entree Architect Podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. It was a really awesome conversation. I appreciate it a lot. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a five-star rating, write a quick review, and share a link to this episode with a friend because that is how Entree Architect has grown to serve thousands more architects just like you. By sharing a rating, write a review, share a link to this episode with a friend. I appreciate you for that. Thank you to all our sponsors for this episode, RCAT and Entree Architect Network. Links to sponsors and all the resources we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode and every episode found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network, the next evolution of interactive media and resources for the AEC community and beyond. You can now earn continuing education credits for listening to this podcast. Select episodes of Entree Architect Podcast are approved for AIA continuing education credit. Learn more about our new Gable Members program at gablemedia.com slash members. That's G-A-B-L media.com slash members. Thank you for listening to this episode of Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark Arlapage. Love, learn, and go share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that, 
then you know in your head you've rooted like oh i'm connected to these people like long term the process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges demanding meticulous planning flawless execution and unyielding resilience i kind of hate the term because it's so overly used but i think everybody knows imposter syndrome and i think it's it's so real to this day i i, I don't know if it's with everybody but with me i'm always questioning like us? Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.